Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Morning, guys. Uh, Today's Bible reading comes from Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to, sponsorship, to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, but hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. G'day folks. Thank you for having me here. Uh, Lovely to be at Mooney Ponds. Uh, What Ian didn't mention, he didn't know, is we used to live in Footscray down the road, uh, not that far away, uh, for about a bit over a decade a a while ago. So we were part of the same watershed as you guys um, in the Maribyrnong. I'll talk a little bit more about watersheds in a moment. So um, just to check, have I got the right position? I'm in good, good position there. Yeah, so Ian's uh, told me that you're doing a series on building relationships and rebuilding connections and things like that, uh, which is a pretty central message, uh, if you like, in one properly thought about it's really the central message of the Bible. The Bible is all about rebuilding relationships, uh, obviously with God, but actually in all directions. So my, uh, my job here today is to talk to you about building uh, and rather discovering our relationship with creation. And it's a subject uh, that's pretty central to, to my heart uh, and um, I hope it might be of, of interest to you. And if it's not, my job is to try and convince you that it should be of interest. So for some people, uh, you might have the impression, uh, I'm not, I don't know anything about you guys, uh, you might have the feeling, some people certainly feel that uh, for Christians to be interested in environmental issues is a, a bit of a woke issue. It's, you know, it's just uh, jumping on a bandwagon because everyone else is talking about it. Therefore, because we're meant to be good people, we should also be talking about it. Um, and that's, that's a tragic uh, way of thinking about it, actually, because uh, what I'm going to be suggesting to you today is actually our connection with creation is central and integral to the whole biblical message and to biblical hope, actually. It's fundamental to who we are and what we're being called into and the hope that awaits us. Uh, We've got a little taste of that in the reading we just had from Romans. So I'm going to be today trying to do in this first part a a very quick run through of 
some of the, the big headlines of what the Bible has to say about our connection with creation and our relationship to it, I want to emphasize that it's really just the headlines I'm going to give you. There is so much to say in this. I'm just going to give you the, the very top level stuff. Uh, I hope that this is a story that you already know and that I'm reminding you of something you already know. If not, I think this will be important to listen to. So first slide, thanks. So obviously um, the place to begin with is with the creation story in Genesis. Well, there's actually two creation stories in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And it's pretty hard to overstate how important creation stories are to the whole of the biblical story. Uh, and in fact, any creation story of, of any culture or race plays a pretty uh, central role to its understanding of itself and where it's going. And what the creation stories do for us in the Bible is they're stories that tell us who we are and what the world is like that we live in. And they also the stories that tell us what's the problem that needs to be solved. That's that's the fundamental bits that we get. Uh, and if you like, creation stories are the stories that tell us, they're DNA stories. They tell us how we're coded. Now, I'm going to go through very quickly through Genesis chapter 1, um, which it's a magnificent chapter. Uh, I could probably spend the whole time just talking about this one chapter of the Bible uh, because it's incredibly rich. Uh, and if you're able to read it in the Hebrew, it's actually, it's more... We read it just as, as text, but it's really a poem, or uh, it, people think it may have been a liturgy. It's a poem of praise to God, and it's beautifully structured. But look, the headline messages of Genesis chapter 1 are pretty clear. And it's firstly, primarily this, that creation, uh, firstly, it's an act of God. It's the willing act of God, and it's good and in fact, the refrain of Genesis chapter 1 is that it's good, it's good, it's very good, it's seven times good, which is seven is the number of completeness in the Bible. Indeed, it is very good. In our modern language, the way we would put that is to say creation out there, everything that's been created is intrinsically good. It has goodness in and of itself. It's not just good because of what it can do for us or how we might use it, but it's good in and of itself. The second thing to say is that humans, us, were created, and interestingly, we're the last act of creation, were created into an already ordered creation. That is, creation has already taken place it's already good and God has ordered it in a particular way. And that is what we as humans are created into. That's, and that's a way of saying, emphasizing, if, if, you, if you like, that we don't get to shape this. God has shaped it. It's not ours. We are given a creation and we are given an order into which we live. In modern language, the way we would say that is that we are given an ecology into which we're placed and that's where we live and we're part of we are a creature too we're part if you like of what we, we could call a community of creation now what's interesting about Genesis chapter 1 is that humans are one we are creatures just like all other creatures uh, we're part of the community of creation but 
we're also different. Humanity gets this special role, and in Genesis 1, chapter 26, you might remember, God gives humanity dominion over the earth, over all the creatures. Um, now, this, uh, this passage has attracted a lot of controversy and, uh, and created a lot of heartbreak for, uh, for people because a lot of people have assumed that dominion means a license to dominate. That's been a very... Um, uh, uh, a slipshod way of reading Genesis chapter 1. And we have to confess that there have been plenty of Christians, particularly in the last couple of hundred years, who have chosen to read it that way uh, for whatever their own reasons are, who have chosen to read that uh, Genesis 1 gives us a license to dominate uh, creation and do what we want with it. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole story for you, but very, very quickly... We can quite clearly say that dominion in the Bible does not mean dominate. It means it's almost exact reverse. Dominion is a concept of rule. And if you know, you read your Bible, not just in the New Testament, right through the Old Testament, the whole purpose of rule and rulership is service. Uh, so when in the Old Testament, when rule, the rule of kings turns to domination, that's when kingship fails. In the New Testament, dominion, that core word, is located with one person, with Christ. And Christ says, I came to serve. So we, dominion is fundamentally a concept of service. Uh, it's a special, and what it does is it recognises, and this is critical, is it recognises that of all creatures in creation, we humans have a special power. We have a power that other creatures don't, don't have. And that's not some statement of, that's not a, uh, um, a statement of doctrine or faith, but it's actually just an observation of what we already see. And in fact, it's what scientists are telling us every day. Only one creature on this planet has altered our weather systems. Only one creature on this planet has affected our oceans and our rivers and landscapes in ways that are unimaginable. That's us. We have an incredible power and what we're given, the whole idea of power in the Bible with special power comes special responsibility. And the question is, will we master our power to become responsible. That's the creation mandate. That's what dominion is. You've been given special power. You must exercise special responsibility. Next slide, thanks. That message is really amplified in the second creation story, the story of uh, the first human, Adam. And the word Adam doesn't mean man, as it's often translated in lots of our Bibles. It means essentially human. And it's a, it's a pun in Hebrew, if you like, because Adam, Adam, we say in Australian, but Adam is created from the Adama, which is the soil in Hebrew. And it's often, again, our translations often say created from the dirt. It's not dirt, actually. The word Adama means rich red soil, which uh, biologists tell us is teeming with millions of forms of life in every every handful of soil. That is what Adam is created from. God takes the soil, moulds it, and 
breathes life into the soil. Who are we as human beings? We are earth creatures animated by the breath of God. This is who we are. We're the stuff of the earth being brought to life by the Spirit of God. It's central to our self-knowledge of who we are and how we live and by what means we live to understand this. So much more I could say about Genesis chapter 2, but the other key take-home point is that Adam is given a job to do. He's placed in the garden and given a very simple but huge and mind-blowing job. We would call it a vocation, a calling. And the Lord took him, the man, and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And some translations put, put it differently. Some, um, some give you the impression it's to, to till it, as some translations. It's not an agricultural word, actually. It's to work it. And the word in Hebrew is abad, and it means very simply to work for. Abad is what a servant does for a master or a slave does or a general does for a king. You work for it. The second word, to keep it, is a very rich Hebrew word, shema. And it's a word that is, has a rich uh, set of meanings. The first meaning is, uh, as we get it, in the, it appears in the blessing of Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. And we understand immediately that means to protect, to nurture, to raise up into full potentiality. There's that meaning. But it's also the same word that's used in through the books of the law for keeping the laws, keeping the way that God has showed you. So keeping the Sabbath. So it's a concept of actually staying in within certain sorts of bounds. Or another way it's put is to observe the law, to observe the Sabbath. And that same meaning, so observing, it's keeping the law, it's following it, but it also has the meaning, just as in English, to look at it, to watch it, to, to learn from it, to observe. If you're going to stay within the bounds of something, you have to understand where, where those bounds are. And you only get that by watching and, and, and looking. So one way we can interpret the vocation given to Adam, who is the human us, this is to all humanity, is this, that the Lord took the human and placed him in the garden to serve and observe it. Now that's an interesting way of thinking about the human vocation, isn't it? And especially if this is our DNA story, this tells us how we're coded. Okay, next slide, thanks. Of course, um, the other thing these creation stories tell us is that not just how good things are, not just how beautiful it is, what it is to what we're called, the other thing that are there to point out is that something is wrong. And we all know this from every day of our lives. We, we experience the data to tell us that there's something gone wrong in creation, in our own personal lives, in our relationships. Uh, just turn on the news, we'll see what's happening in the world. There's been a rupture in creation. And again, there's so much that could be said about this. But the, the bit I want to draw your attention to today is something I don't think we've properly understood. Uh, so we, we, we understand immediately that the rupture between Adam and Adam and Eve and God was central to the, what we call the full story. 
there's a breakdown in relationship. And therefore, the huge question uh, that the Bible is addressing is how do we re-establish that relationship between humanity and God? But we haven't understood properly that when uh, the temptation, the core sin of Adam and Eve was that they will be like God. And essentially, what that means was they were denying their status as creatures. So not only was it a rupture with their creator by denying their, their status as being created beings, it was a rupture with all other created beings. We denied our participation in the community of creation. That is, the rupture in relationships happened in three directions. It happened in a, a rupture in relationship with God. There was a rupture in relationship between people, and we see that happening immediately in what, what takes place between Adam and Eve. And there is a rupture in relationship between humanity and the earth itself. And that's brought home in a series of texts, particularly so immediately uh, 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 with Adam's sin. God says, cursed is the ground now. So immediately the relationship to the earth has changed. This damage has begun to be... Uh, by what hu humans have done, we begin to see damage to the earth. Then with the story of Cain and Abel, where, where Cain slays his brother, we see that ramped up even to a higher level. When the, Abel's blood is spilt on the earth, then the, the, cursed, the curse amps up, if you like. And the cost, so we see damage to creation, but that rebounds back to us too. So as soon as creation gets damaged, then we suffer, and that's... Uh, part of the take-home message from, for, for Adam and for Cain. So these are the stories that tell us who we are and what the problem is, if you like. Uh, the rest of the Bible really is an unfolding story of how God is going to come and save us, if you like, from this state of rupture. And the big theological word that we give for that rupture is sin, it's a very little word with a very big meaning. Uh, there's so much that could be said. Again, new slide, thanks. One thing I want to draw your attention to is in the Old Testament, it's a long story, as you know, because I know you read your Old Testaments every night as you go to bed, um, that it, right at the heart of this story is the, the, this place called the Promised Land, Israel. And it's called to be something. It's called to a vision. Uh, and right at the heart of that, uh, so we, we get the vision of what the promised land in the, in the first five books of the Bible, which are what are called the books of the law or the Torah in Hebrew. Uh, and basically they lay down in very intricate detail how people are to live in the promised land. And the promised land is to be a a land of milk and honey, a land of blessing. Uh, and it's to be a blessing to them. But for it to be a blessing, they have to live a certain way. I'm going to talk about that last point first. For the promised land to be a land of milk and honey, they have to follow a certain path. Or, more specifically, they have to observe certain limits. They have to observe God's way. And that's the law. And... The, the laws that are given in the, in, the in the first five books of the Bible might seem pretty 
often bizarre and strange things to us. That's because we're people who are separated by thousands of years of distance and by, uh, well, it's literally on the other side of the planet. But actually in its context, in its historical context for an agrarian people in the Mediterranean world, what it is, is a, a way of living healthily on the land and with each other, essentially. It's a vision of community. And right at the heart of it is this idea of an economy of enough. And the foundational vision of that is given through the story of the manna in the wilderness, where the whole point is that none shall have too little, we understand what that is, but also that none shall have too much. So again, we see right from the beginning this observing limits is central to the way that they're going to live in the promised land. And the, there's a whole bunch of economic laws in the, books of the, in the first five books of the laws. They're laws about uh, work, about ownership, about debt and credit, about how land is used, how agriculture is practiced, even about the, how animals are treated, uh, how we think about things like productivity. There's a whole bunch of laws. And the one way of summing up what they're all getting at is that in all of these things... We must observe limits for the sake of health, for the health of the human community, for your relationships to each other, and for the health of the land itself. And it's very explicit. It's not just about the soil to maintain agricultural fertility, although it's certainly about that. It's also for the benefit of the wild creatures, those whom you get no benefit from and might seem a nuisance to you, but actually the vision is, and this is particularly in the Jubilee Laws of um, Leviticus 25, that this land must be hospitable to them too. It's to be hospitable to all comers, widows, orphans and even aliens, but even the wild creatures. It's a vision of a hospitable place. But as I said, it's conditional. And if you don't follow the conditions... The land of milk and honey will no longer be a land of milk and honey. And things can turn quite bad. There are a whole bunch of warnings placed that if you don't follow the way I'm showing you, then the rains will not fall in season. The land will not yield its harvest. And we're learning all about now the scientific basis for that sort of understanding, actually. Next slide. So we know that things go... Um, hard for Israel, they don't follow God's way and the prophet's job is to come along and remind them of what they were told all along. And I'm just going to give this, particularly from the book of Jeremiah, could have so many texts here, but here I think is just one that sums it up beautifully. Where, uh, and this is specifically after where Jeremiah has been talking about the rains not falling in season and the land not yielding its harvest. And he says, your wrongdoings have upset nature's order. Your sins have kept away her bounty. This is the position we're in today, folks. This is us. This is humanity in the 21st century. Uh, and the, Bi the Bible, the biblical witnesses, knew about this all along. I would say that not only does the Bible help us explain our ecological crisis that we have today in many respects it anticipates it next slide thanks but of course the bible is a story of hope and it's fundamentally a story of salvation and that 
for Christians, that really turns with Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, Paul tells us, the fulfillment of the Torah. And again, so much that could be said here. Uh, firstly, that uh, who Christ is, is the word become flesh. That is God, in God's, or as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2, God choosing upon God's self limitation and coming into the limitation and the vulnerability of our flesh. That's, if just think about that statement for a, 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 a moment, just how significant that is for dignifying the world in which we live in, creation. And the central message that Jesus preaches while he's on earth is the message of the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? Well, what it's all about, we get in the Lord's Prayer, the, way that the, the prayer that Jesus told us to pray. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea that God's will is being done on earth is what the kingdom of God is all about. And in fact, uh, what will become clear when we'll come back to this in a moment is that it's all about God's kingdom coming to earth. That's the ultimate picture that we're looking at. But there's more we could say about Jesus. Jesus is often talked about as the son of man. There's various terms that's, that's used for it. Uh, and the, that term son of man, uh, amongst other things, means simply the human one. So here this, this huge... Um, statement that we have about Jesus in the, in the New Testament. One, who is Christ? Christ shows us what God is like. It's an incredible story. But also the New Testament says, who is Christ? Christ shows us what a human is really like. What it means to be truly human, actually. It's an incredibly rich paradox if you think about it. In Paul's language, when he writes about this, he talks about Jesus as the second Adam. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because we haven't really thought properly about who Adam was and was created to be and what the vocation that was given to Adam was. In Christ, we see what the picture of real dominion looks like. If we want to know what dominion looks like, we look at Jesus. Here is Adam 2.0, if you like, how it's meant to be. And Paul's message is, is even bigger. He says, for those of us who are in Christ, we now, too, are becoming a new humanity. Humanity 2.0. We're joining into this new Adam, being raised up into what true dominion looks like, what it means to serve and observe. Next slide, thanks. It's tragic how much people have missed how central cre creation uh, plays, and particularly in Paul's letters, but actually through the whole Bible. Paul has a lot to say. I'm just going to pick a couple of headlines here, but one of them, uh, first ones, is from Galatians. Uh, um, really, Paul pointing to the message that was given way back in the, the Old Testament that uh, essentially things going well for us here on earth depends on what we do. You reap what you sow. That's essentially what the Torah was warning the Israelites of all along. Okay, this will be a land of milk and honey for you if you live a certain way. 
Paul's saying the same thing. But Paul's vision, understanding of what Christ is doing is huge. And we get it summed up for us very nicely and succinctly in that little passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And the Greek word for world there is the word cosmos. And it means all things in creation. And Paul says that explicitly in Ephesians and Colossians, that Christ was redeeming all things under heaven and earth. It's not just us. It's not just humans that this is about. It's about the redemption of creation. And that's what was the message of the passage we had read to us this morning, Romans chapter 8, which is the story about the redemption of creation. Creation is groaning. It's fascinating. We can, the Apostle Paul's walking around in the Mediterranean world and he can see that the creation is damaged. This is the world 2,000 years ago. I wonder what Paul would say if he was wandering around now. But Paul can see that creation is groaning and he says a mind-blowing thing. He says, the redemption of creation is waiting. Waiting for what? The revealing of the children of God. Put another way, it's waiting for the revealing of the true humans, the people who were created uh, in Christ's image, who are the new humanity, the people who have been restored to the proper vocation, if you like, that Adam was given all along. The creation's redemption is bound up with our redemption and our redemption is bound up with creation's. The final take-home message for this all, and I realised I didn't have a slide for this this morning, is that the New Testament hope is not, as has so often mistakenly been uh, understood, it's not that we die and go to heaven. The New Testament hope is the hope of resurrection of the body. It's pretty clear about that. The hope of resurrection of the body and a new creation. Heaven is coming to earth. That's our hope. So that's the basis of our connection to creation. In a little bit, I'm going to talk about what that might mean for us, but um, that'll be part two of what I have to say. Well, it's great that Jonathan could bring such a clear message to us this morning. I love uh, that vision of Jesus restoring all broken relationships. Broken relationship uh, with God, with ourself, with others, and also with the creation. And uh, it's a very powerful message, and I think it, it actually speaks to us as Christians. It, it actually gives us a, a responsibility as we're on mission with God, joining God in God's mission in the world. What does that mean for us? And so we've heard a, a very clear presentation this morning, but I, in talking to, to Jonathan, I wanted him to really help us Work out what to do with that. What do we do with that individually? What do we do with that as a church? And so I'm going to invite him to come up and give us a few practical tips that we can uh, put into action. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Ian. It's not always when you get to preach that you get to follow up with another, another one, so that's pretty nice. Um, but it's pretty important, the, the practical stuff. I mean, ultimately, this is all about practice, right? Um, 
So just to emphasize, where are we at? Um, what Christ is doing, what, uh, in Christ, God was reconciling the cosmos to himself, putting back all broken things back into relationship. The fullest definition of salvation is to be restored into relationship. Fundamentally with God, but actually with each other. It's about the new rebuilding, renewing our a new basis of relationship with each other and with the earth itself. A restored relationship with creation. And what I want to emphasize from what I'm talking about here, this, this is not just about... So when we think about this thing that people talk about, the environment, they think about responsibility and I th you use that word and it does come with responsibility we, we said that with special power comes special responsibility but fundamentally what this is about actually is life what will bring us life because salvation is a story of being restored into life and the whole story is our life is found in relationship with God with each other and with the earth so what I want to share is some basic thoughts um, on what that might look like for people like us in 21st century urbanised Australia uh, because we are in very profound ways disconnected from creation just by our day-to-day -day ways of living. So first slide. And these are going to be very top-level stuff. It's really a, a framework and there's almost under each point there will be... There's all sorts of other questions and stuff that needs to be filled out and we won't have time to go through that. I'm, I'll be here after uh, morning tea if you want to chat to me, but you can also contact me or, or sign up to our, our newsletter. But these are some basic frameworks. And what I want to say to do is around how can we reconcile with creation? I mean, the levels I want us to think about that is at a personal level, what that means for us. Uh, the other what level we need to think about that is as households and that will become see why that's so important in a moment but also we can think about this as faith communities as churches and I think that is really important and actually it's best done when it's all happening being done together <laughs> when we're thinking personally when we're thinking as households and we're thinking about churches about this stuff all at the same time is when it will be uh, will be richest for us next slide thanks so the first thing I want to talk about is really uh, the process of ourselves rebuilding some sense of connection to creation. It's really, really about how we understand our place in the natural world. And that's why this is so important is because as urbanised people in the technological 21st century, we live under the mistaken assumption that nature is separate from us and that we're somehow different, it's out there, we, you know, we're, it's something you go to look at you know, uh, for a, a day walk or something. We don't actually realise that we are fundamentally, every day, integrated into the ecology of creation because all the structures of our lives don't let us see it. And what we need to do is to relearn eyes to see creation around us. That's one of the fundamental messages of Jesus with the disciples is to be a follower of Jesus is you need new eyes to see. Or you need to, the, the, he uses the word repent, which the Greek word is metanoia, which really means to be, have a new brain inside your head 
to get a new mind. We need to relearn to see how we, we think about our position in the world. And really the, the only, not the only way, but the primary way that we, we need to do that is by placing ourselves bodily in places where we are in contact with and seeing nature a bit more somehow, some way. Whether that's just in our backyards or that's the place to start, whether it's going down to the Maribyrnong Valley and having a look at that, whether it's going out to some bushland somewhere. It's important, and not just visiting places in sort of here and there, bits and pieces, but actually learning a connection to place. There's a great uh, story in uh, one of Dostoevsky's no novels of a, um, in the Brothers Karatsmazov, where there's a rich woman who's saying uh, she wants to give away money and serve humanity, but she doesn't know where to do it because she just loves all of humanity and she can't do anything. And the priest she's talking to her challenges and said, you can't love humanity. Humanity's an idea. You need to love some people, some real people who are in front of you. And it's like that for us with creation. We can't love the environment. It's an idea. What we need is connection to real places over time. We need to be places that we're visiting, seeing, learning from watching over time what they're like in different seasons, what they're like over a decade. We need to, to begin to learn what those places' issues are. If you went down to the Maribyrnong Valley, uh, maybe not right down in, by the Essendon boat sheds, but you go further upstream where there's a bit more bushland, I wonder how many trees could you identify? Would you know, uh, would you know the names of any of the species? Or could you name a couple of the bird species around? Um, even just to have a look at what's happening. If you go down, to the, I went down the Maribyrnong this morning and we, clearly there's been a flood event and that's revealed something very, uh, if, if you have eyes to see, very um, blatantly, which is how much plastic there is in the Maribyrnong River. So uh, part of what having eyes to see is will not just be about seeing how beautiful creation is, but also, and this is where the grief comes in, how much damage. But you're not going to learn that until we begin being there physically, and whether that's a piece of bushland that you build a connection with over time. So I know the Maribyrnong Valley has a very active group, um, the friends of the Mar Maribyrnong Valley, who have taken on their, their role to, um, to care for it. In fact, one of the foundational members of that group was a Baptist. Not that that should matter, but you know, maybe that helps. Um, so having eyes to see, placing ourselves bodily in 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 bushland or maybe even farmland, having long-term relationships with places is critical. Another, I think, really helpful thing to do is for, to have a go at growing some of your own food. And this is not just so that with the idea that you can somehow become um, self-sufficient, <laughs> most people that's virtually impossible for, but for the very simple fact that by learning to try to grow food, you'll learn a couple of things. One, you learn how hard it is to grow food well and, to, and repeatedly. And you'll get a bit more respect of the job farmers have to do. So one of our disconnections is we're not just disconnected from the earth, we're disconnected from people who produce our food and, and what, what they're having to do to try and raise it for us. So we need to learn what that's like. Secondly, actually getting in contact with soil, you'll start to realise how rich and how complex it is 
And actually, there's all sorts of studies that show just by the act of getting your hands dirty is really good for us. It does all sorts of things for our brain, actually. So there's something that's life-giving in doing it. You can do that. You don't actually have to have a backyard. People can do some pretty amazing stuff just on balconies even. But somehow having a go at that. And I've said already, mentioned, have it, see if there's ways you can get involved for caring for wild spaces. And Friends of Maribyrnong Valley is a, is a good example of a, a group that's set up to care for wild places. Maybe there's a place that you have a connection with somewhere else. Um, and there's land care groups and so, so on. But ways that we can begin, and that's why we're beginning to see over time what the issues are of a particular place. Next slide. So all of that first slide is really about ourselves getting new eyes to see and understanding our connections and learning in the nitty-gritty of what is actually happening to the earth because we need to know in detail what's going on. But the other key thing that is critical for us is not just people to be people who are building connections with uh, creation, but for people in our position who are consumers in one of the world's richest, highest consumers, consuming economies in the world, is we need to take uh, attend to our impact on the planet because the people doing the most damage in the world, I'm afraid to tell you folks, is us. So 20% of the world's population are using 80% of the world's uh, resources. That's us. You don't think of yourselves as rich, maybe, but all of us here in this room, by world standards, are rich. And that comes, has come at a price. So we need to begin to think about our footprint on the planet. And there's a bunch of ways we can do that. So there's a whole, we can begin to think about being consumers, being responsible for how we consume. And there's a whole universe there to be explored around ethical consumption or careful consumption, responsible consumption. Uh, there's a bunch of resources out there to help you do that. Uh, maybe there's people in this church who already have some of that knowledge and skills. It's something that's best done together. But this is a good example of it where it's um, something that can be done, needs to be done at a personal level, but is best done at a household level. Best done at a household level, but even better when different households, and churches are great for this, get together and talk about how they're doing it. Because a lot of it has to do with about information and knowing stuff. And different, bit, different ones of us know different bits of the story, and it's helpful to have other people thinking about the same things. Uh, so how we consume, but we need to think about our energy, how we get it, how much we use, how our households use energy and how they could use less of it, which is ultimately what we need to use less, uh, how we use water. Um, Mostly in Australia, we need to think about conserving water, which seems crazy at the moment to say that. But mostly, for most of the time, that's what we need to think about. But we also really need to think big time about waste uh, because it's becoming, it has for a long time been a huge issue. Uh, also, carbon emissions obviously is central to that. Things that are driving climate change, and that's bound up very much to do with our energy usage, but also our transport usage how we take holidays, flying, things like that. The end game of it all is really about reducing what I've called here, reducing our material throughput. That's a fancy way of just saying, trying to reduce the amount of stuff that comes through our homes. 
We consume a vast amount of stuff and studies show that most of what we get into our homes spends at most about two weeks in there before it heads on its way to landfill. Um, what we need, what the planet needs for us, what much of the rest of humanity needs, and actually what I would, I would ask, argue would be good for ourselves as well, is to be people who consume less and realise much more the value of things, appreciate the value of things much more so that we can be happy with less. But the end game is we need to reduce what we consume. And finally, often thought of as a dirty word to bring into churches, that has to do with politics. Um, so we, can, we need to be doing, to be attending to our own impact, what we do uh, and how we live and how we connect to creation. But in the end, the big issues that are happening out there around climate change, around deforestation, about plastic and waste, these are things that need to be tackled by governments. And how we engage our citizenships, so we are citizens of this country, Australia, is central also to how we care for creation. So there's my top level stuff, my take homes. Um, obviously under each one of those points there's a whole lot more that needs to be said and, and there's a whole lot of devil in the detail. But um, my encourage for you is to begin with somewhere. Don't try and take all of that stuff at once. Just pick one or two things out of the list and have a think about it and have a talk with someone else about what you might be able to do in that area. Thank you.